Howdy, folks, and welcome back to another episode of MIP uh, for a Riff episode. Very happy to be here with Henry Andrews. And as some of you may know, Henry, Henry has kind of made a reputation as the kind of, I don't know, Gravesian aficionado. Uh, yeah, of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> OG spiral dynamics, uh, you know, someone who knows a lot about the history and the people involved in the project. And you were kind of recently making the rounds. I know you were recently on um, Brendan Graham Dempsey's podcast, and I really enjoyed the conversation the two of you had. And that was, as I was telling you in, in our Discord group, that, you know, as soon as um, the conversation started to come to an end, like five minutes before that conversation came to an end, that was when I got really excited. I'm like, okay, now they, these people are talking about the, the really exciting stuff, right? They're asking the real important questions about stage theory and spiral dynamics and Nora Bateson's uh, attack on stage theory and the whole conflict surrounding it, right? So I've had an interest in this issue, one, because, you know, my background is in integral theory and, and was really into uh, stage theory when I was younger and kind of moved not so much away from that, but I would say I more kind of decentered that as the dominant lens from which I understand mm -hmm. reality and life and people and complex systems and so forth. Uh, but I think it's still implicitly in the back of my mind somewhere. And I, this is the episode I thought I'd kind of dig it out and we can talk about it as an object of our you know, attention. So uh, yeah, uh, thanks for coming. And I'll, I also want to say publicly too that I don't engage much on Facebook, but I do do a lot of lurking and kind of scrolling around. And I really appreciate your style of how you engage with people and how you talk to people and just the kind of compassion and nuance that you bring to some really heated discussions is really, that's something I really value personally. So I, I really love the way that you, you demonstrate that and kind of model that style of, of very non-polarizing compassionate engagement. So I just want to acknowledge that and honor that and say, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I try on Facebook. You, you, you may, maybe have not seen one of the days when I fail abjectly, but which happens from time to time, but, <laughs> but I do try. We all have those days. Yeah. Especially yeah. with subjects like this, right? Oh my goodness. Every, every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. We, we all, we all have our limits. Uh, but yeah, I do, I do, I do try. Um, and, and thank you for that acknowledgement. I appreciate it. Totally. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, to start, I, I want to ask you, cause I think you're seen as someone who has a unique kind of place in this, in this debate. Uh, you're kind of, I see you as kind of straddling the fence, right? Kind of like, you can really understand both sides and, and really emotionally empathize with the frustration on, on both sides of it. So I think yeah. you, you represent a kind of nuanced, kind of mediation-y voice and all of this. Am I, am I perceiving that accurately? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, if, if you saw Joe Lightfoot's Liminal Web article, um, and he just did a thing on the story yesterday, uh, where he talks about like there, there's the system poets and and like Nora Bateson and Tyson Yuccaporta he classifies them that, and there's the the meta theorists and that of course would be Hansi Freinacht and 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 the Gravesian theorists although they're more of an influence on the set of people he's talking about rather than directly right it's kind of a generation back, uh, and and then like kind of the sense makers um, uh, which would be kind of more the the rebel wisdom group of of core group of of, of people. Um, and and I, I, I find myself falling into this odd extra liminal space between the, the system poets and the meta theorists. Uh, I kind of came into all of this after a friend got me into spiral dynamics and Gravesian theory. I mean, just, just to be clear, I have no formal 
qualifications for any of this whatsoever. I have just read stuff and argued with people on the internet. Like, so I feel I, we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I mean, those are qualifications in, in 2021, apparently. So, uh, you know, I got, but I got more and more into Gravesian theory. There's a Beck Graves group on Facebook, um, which is where I met John Freeman, who, who, you know, as we were talking about earlier off before the recording of being in that conversation with Nora Bateson uh, and and Maimona and Jeremy Johnson, uh, and and you know learned some things from Spiral Dynamics people there. Got a hold of Graves's Never Ending Quest, which is his his posthumously published large book on the subject. Um, so I've actually read that, which I think a lot of Gravesian, a lot of people who talk about Spiral Dynamics have never actually read what Graves wrote specifically. Um, maybe they've read Beck and Co. And maybe they've just read some rants on the internet. Uh, that happens. Um, but yeah, so I actually dug through Graves' work on that. And I found that very illuminating because he highlights things a bit differently. Uh, and that that kind of impacted my thinking on, yeah, there's something here that I think is important, but I'm not sure I entirely agree with, you know, everyone who is, who is with kind of the standard way of going about things in the spiral dynamics and, and integral, um, integral areas. So yeah, and then then when the when the stage theory debate thing happened, when Nora posted that, and I got involved in talking about that because I'd already been working on this cyclic view of Gravesian theory for you know over a year, almost two years, I think by that point. Um, so I so some of that kind of dovetailed with her critique, um, and then some of that didn't. Uh, and oh yeah, and then initially the the friend who introduced me to spiral dynamics uh, for, in the first place, she and I both took Nora's warm data training online last month. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I'm, I find myself involved in this thing. I'm definitely am sympathetic towards the critique. I should understand what's going on. So I actually did go and get the training in in warm data. Um, and yeah, I still like I find things of interest from both of these perspectives. Uh, at the moment, I'm I probably lean more towards. Nora's perspective, but not entirely. Um, like I, I see that there are patterns to pull out of Gravesian theory, and I think that there's, I think that there's useful material there, and it's a question of figuring out the right way to apply it. Um, great, great opening. Yeah, great framing. I wanted to get a little, get into that a little bit more in terms of where you agree with Nora and where you disagree with her. So I'll just I'll just share my perspective of this really fast so you can reflect. So where I agree with her obviously is the paintballing thing, right? It's a great word too. I never heard of that until I heard you talk about it. Um because it is Cohen. what's that? Sorry, uh, that's from Chris Cohen, who was one of the two spiral dynamics people who of course acrimoniously split at some point as every yeah. All the major people in the spiral dynamics, anything like all can't stand each other. It's kind of right. sad. I'm kind of ironic. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that is that is a good word to capture that phenomenon because it is a, it is a very pernicious thing, you know. And I, I resonate with what Nora was saying about how slapping labels on people, uh, especially when there's kind of a hierarchy hierarchical idea behind it. Can be yeah. really it's not only really damaging right to like individuals and, and and your way of perceiving individuals but to communities and cultures where that becomes a norm obviously has a very destructive you know quality yeah. to it yeah. um because it kind of you know it violently reduces the complexity of the person by just you know cognizing them just as in terms of a label or a stage or a color and just slapping that on them is it's kind of this violence to a, a person um although i will say though that that is unfortunately in our polarized 
climate, what everyone is doing, everyone else with every other label. Uh, yeah, right? Gravesian theory or not, yeah, we're kind of just doing that to each other. Totally, totally. I think where I take issue with her, which probably frustrated me the most with how she approached that is I do think that, yeah, doing that to people is like the worst thing, but it's not good to do that to ideas. And, and mm. so calling stage three like colonialist and, and then kind of as a dismissal, right? Uh, mm. I really don't like that because A, it's highly polarizing. It's kind of disrespectful to the people who are in those communities and have a lot of you know, nuance and complexity and, and have, you know, that's a, if that's a, that theory is part of their identity and part of their worldview, right? It's yeah. like, it's kind of reminds me of what we're talking about in the Discord group about guys like, you know, Jordan Peterson or um, Andrew Sullivan or whatever this, anything I don't like, it's Marxist, right? Like anything I don't like is Marxism. It's just like, oh, come on, man. Like it does violence to the complexity of the idea space. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that was what I took the most issue with. And what on, the, on this show, I'm really trying to promote, like, don't do that, right? Like right, steel man right. something, understand it on its own terms and then critique. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I, I think it's important to note that Nora wasn't trying to write a reason critique. That was a toss off Facebook post from some minor frustration somewhere that she was like, you know, and I, I talked to her about it. She was just like, I didn't think that was going to be controversial. Like, I feel like I've said much more controversial things that nobody cared about. And then this one just exploded. So, you know, it, it's not like she set out to make a, a reasoned critique of stage theory. She was just venting and it, and it blew up because the internet. Um, but, but, you know, that said, uh, and I think, I think when that discussion with John and Jeremy happened, everybody was still kind of in a bit of an activated mode. So I, I, I feel like maybe that conversation was a little bit too soon. Um, and, and people kind of hadn't settled. Um, like I think John wrote something right after that, that I was kind of met on, but then he came back with one much later where, that I, I, I thought was better. So I think like people are kind of sorting out after that initial reaction. But yeah, I mean, as far as, as far as steel manning the thing, like I think, I think colonialist is a valid critique, but you do have to, you do have to back it up. I mean, I, I think a lot of what that means is, is just simply, if we're gonna use spiral dynamics or integral terms, like looking at the, the modernist, the orange meme and its, its tendency to linearize things, that there's going to be a winner, that there is this notion of progress that moving forward is better and and if you haven't moved forward you're not as good um and like that's a huge dynamic of colonialism which kind of fits there as well so you know it's it's a bit of a shorthand um but when that's the entire critique yeah it's going to tend to blow people up and yeah people have built their their lives and their livelihoods on the idea that this is a positive force that this is a way to do things better um, so yeah, I think you saw a lot of people activated, um, particularly on the on the, the stage theory side, uh, and and Nora herself, like in the in the video, talks about you know the, the the three generations of her family fighting eugenics, right? And she gets passionate about that. You can like, oh okay, like that's where the activation is for you. Like you have there's a lot going on there. Um, that's a deeper activation than just like I got annoyed at somebody calling me green today, you know. So. <laughs> which happens. If there was more to that question, I think I've lost track of it. So no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was just my take. But I'm, I'm curious, um, like with what is your personal disagreement with Nora or? Um, oh, right. Um, both in terms of how she's done things or philosophically with warm data and her kind of understanding of complexity. I wouldn't 
necessarily say that I have so much of a disagreement, um, certainly not on the warm data stuff. Like I love the training. It made a lot of sense to me. I, I felt it was an optimistic view of engaging with humans and their, all of our complexity. Uh, I thought it was effective um, in terms of, of what it's trying to do to facilitate emergence of what's going on under the surface um, and, and get us out of our assumption of like, okay, well, we should ask this question to these people about this very specific thing, which is kind of how we tend to go about things by default, right? Um, so I, I mean, all of that made sense to me, the process experience, all of that resonated for me. And, and then my question is more like, well, what else is there? Because that's not, at least where we are as a culture right now, like we can't all just jump into warm data processes, which take time and take uh, take a lot of people. Um, like it's not something that you sit down with four people and do, right? Like if you if you just have a small number of people who need to focus on things. Um, uh, I mean, maybe you, you want more relationality in the process than than that. So, you know, I think that it's, it's possible that there are things to draw people's attention to productively, to look at patterns of behavior and say, hey, have you considered this? Um, and that's kind of, so, you know, what I've tried to do with Gravesian theory, like I've looked at it as the sixth cycle that kind of turns into the tiers in spiral dynamics integral. Uh, but, you know, you've got, at least in the Gravesian version, there's six per tier. We're gonna ignore Wilbur's like two, level second tier for third tier thing because that doesn't have anything to do with you know I tend to I tend to look at this cycle of six things and there's there are patterns and relationships among them and I think that that we can use that to draw attention to to those patterns right so for example are you prioritizing you know this kind of intellectual competitiveness uh, and this this attitude of, of there is a there is a truth there's an optimal answer that I wanna pursue, uh, which could cause you to leave behind a bunch of different things where there's actually a plurality of, of, of approaches, right? So there you can, you can look at that pattern you can say, okay, here's a strength and here's a weakness. What's going on here? Um, and you can do that without being like, you are orange. Yeah, it's, it's not so much that I dramatically disagree with her. I mean, I think some of that discussion where, where that I said happened a little too early. Like I think some of that got stuck in where people were activated. Um, but it's it's more that I see that like, okay, there's something else here and it's not quite spiral dynamics and it's not warm data, but it draws a little bit on each of them. Um, and where I see it drawing on warm data is like, it's more of a prompting sort of thing rather than a assessment. Can you say more about that? Yeah, yeah. So spiral dynamics, right? Like. So again, I'm not officially trained as a spiral dynamics consultant. I have none of that. I have I certainly talked with people who are, John for one. Um, uh, but you know, basically they go in, if you look at the value match website, they describe their process. Um, so uh, they, you know, they'll go in and they will assess, they will give a you know little test thing. It's various sentences, and do you agree with it or do you not agree with it? And they score those and like they look for your positive and negative affinity regarding each of the each of the levels, which are the, the V-memes and spiral dynamics uh, uh, terminology. So um, you get this assessment of like how much purple, red, blue, orange, green, yellow. Uh, they don't usually bother with turquoise, I don't think, because there's not enough there and beige is kind of nonverbal, so that doesn't usually show up. So they do that assessment. 
and and you know they're very clear on their website like you don't just hand these assessments out to everybody and be like go right you you sit down with the consultant and they go over the thing and they talk about what the implications are and they talk with you about like the specifics of your situation and how this relates to the context um, and and it is a affinity for and against, you know, you get like a little bar and like a positive side and negative side, like how much do you, do you accept this and how much do you reject it? Uh, so it's not a, it's not a, here's your color, right? It's not a, it's not a paintball thing where it's like, this is your color. It's like, oh, you have more affinity for these and you have less affinity for those. And you really, really don't like this one. And so here's this complex picture of you and let's talk about how it relates. Uh, that's, so that, that pulls in a lot of complexity in a very different way than Nora does. So there's still some discussion to be had there about, you know, is that the right way to do it or not? Um, is there a right way to do it? But, you know, where I think Nora's critique is pretty relevant is that eventually the consultant leaves, right? You know, you bring in a spiral dynamics consultant to your business. You say, I want you to look at all my teams and see like, who, are, the, are the people functioning well? Are the teams functioning well? Like what's going on? How can I make this work better? eventually the consultant leaves and somebody still has these assessments and they, you know, a, a, a coworker of mine at a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a past tech job joked that like every page in the internal wiki like lost one point of credibility every day that nobody touched it. So like, you know, it starts off as like 100% accurate and you know, by a hundred days later, it's like random garbage. Just in like nothing happened except that kind of life went on and people no longer remember the the like why was that written how was what was the response what was the context of that going on and now you're kind of interpreting this thing has become detached and this these sorts of assessments can be they can turn into the paintballing once they're detached like that um, so so to me that's where there's more of a difficulty in even the really solid application of spiral dynamics you leave behind these artifacts and they can be misused. Warm data is not about, like you don't, you don't have these sort of artifacts coming. It's not artifact oriented. It's not deliverable oriented. Um, so, so, you know, whatever, whatever you may or may not think of it, it's not going to have that particular weakness. Um, so it's also, it's not goal oriented. So if you're expecting something to come out with like an action plan, warm data is not the thing that's gonna do that as, as much. I mean, you might get, you will get insights that you can make into an action plan, certainly, but um, but it's a different sort of thing. And do you know what context one would use warm data for, like, to solve what kind of problem? Or if I was going to hire Nora Bates and come into my organization or company to do a consultation, like, why would I do that? I'll give you I'll give you an example that she she talked about um, that I I think is good. And I I don't remember all the details of the example, but I think I think you'll get the idea. It, it had something to do with I think it was in the UK. There was some fund for projects in a in a disadvantaged neighborhood, and and you know uh, they had to figure out how to allocate these funds, and they wanted to involve the community, and and you know of course people were like, well, I want a community center that has these things, and I want money to fix this park or you know whatever whatever it is. I don't remember what the examples were, and there there was. There wasn't a ton of agreement on that. And it was very much like, it was very much, we've got a budget, so we're gonna carve it up, right? And like, I have a project, so I want some budget for my project. And somehow or another, Nora got asked to come in and, and, and facilitate a warm data thing with this. And what emerged was more of a sense of, 
less of a need for like, oh, we have these projects that we need funded and more of like, actually we could use more community connection and, oh, we have a lot of the resources that we might really need, but we hadn't made the connections among ourselves and we hadn't, we hadn't had the space to figure that out because the, the framing was, here's a budget. What do you want to do with the budget? Right. So that's, that I think is an example of how you come into a, a problem and by not focusing on the problem, you actually get an emergent view that is very different from what just about any other process would have gotten. Any other process would go in there and be like, all right, let's try to, you know, how many people want each of these things or what would be the outcome of, of funding this project and, and how many people think that would be a good outcome, right? Cost Any other analysis process? and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like what's the, yeah, cost benefit and, and, and who will it impact and who are the stakeholders? And like, this is more like, all right, we're just gonna put everybody and who's involved in this and maybe some people who aren't and just like get a bunch of people who are kind of vaguely around this and, and cause them to talk to each other with, with very little direction as to what to say just barely enough to kind of get things going. And then you get, you get things emerging that, that you never would have thought to ask about yeah. by looking at that surface. Um, so that's, I think, a, a real enormous, enormous strength of warm data uh, and, and spiral dynamics in the typical application is not doing something like that, right? It is, it is coming in with an assessment and then I mean, again, like spiral dynamics wouldn't necessarily tell you how to allocate your budget. So right, right. this is not exactly an apples to apples comparison either, which sure. shows the complexity of talking about these things in the same bucket even. So, so what I want to talk about, I'm going to get really, really practical here because this, this show yeah. has a kind of practical bent. And I do community development work with different nonprofits and government agencies and stakeholders. And one of the principles I think about kind of as, a, as a guiding heuristic for myself, I call it design for positive externalities. Mm -hmm. And it sounds very similar to what Nora's doing, right? Where it's, sometimes it's not about focusing on the problem and how it's framed. Yeah. It's about everything else. It's about the relationships between people. It's about how they're perceiving and working with complexity. It's about thinking about what context and perspective they're throwing into the mix and facilitating a kind of complex and beneficial interchange around the problem, right? So you're not fixating on it, but it's everything else. Um, yeah. th there, there's a, there is a real value to that. And I really like that approach, you know, in um, Hawaiian, I'm from Hawaiian in Lomi Lomi massage. One of the principles is like, you don't just go straight to the muscle. That's the most tense. You work around it first. Yeah. Or you do the yeah. other side first and then you do this one. Right. So right. there is something, I think that kind of contextual emphasis and decentering the fixation on the problem of, you know, the object of the problem, like there's something really tremendously powerful and potentially very transformative about that. And it empowers people, right? People are empowered to yeah. rock their complexity better. And you're not having experts from the outside coming in telling people what to do. It's kind of like the best of like, you know, 1960s community organizing, right? And right, like, right, right. You're empowering yeah. communities to solve their own problems by activating their collective intelligence and capacity for complex sense-making in their own natural way, right? Right, right. So I guess my question is, give, I, see, I see a lot of value in that approach. Yeah. So what would be a, con a concrete situation where you're like, you know, I think the spiral dynamics approach is really going to be beneficial here. Like when would I call John to come in for my company and not? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think of the spiral dynamics process as is often done by these, these consultants as being more like 
Well, so, uh, you know, again, at a, at a past tech job, um, uh, my boss, who was a VP of engineering and had teams in the US and in, in India and, and elsewhere, you know, we were, I, I was just kind of casually talking about this stuff to him because I've known him for a long time, we're friends. Um, you know, and just, just sort of like identifying these different, you know, V-meme is supposed to be value meme, value patterns, but it's not, it's not, values isn't really quite it. It's this kind of deeper underlying motivation sort of thing. Uh, values emerge from it, but so do other sorts of, of behaviors. Um, but, uh, you know, just, a, you know, this is such a simplistic version that it, it reverses on, on paintballing itself, but just looking at, like, say, the relative importance of, of authority and loyalty in a, in a culture. Um, and, like, do people in, in this office or this country, you know, do they tend to expect more obedience and more personal loyalty uh, because that is how, that is kind of where they're operating from, or, you know, in the U.S. you get, um, in, you know, in tech industry, like, it's, 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 you're, it's not weird to disagree with your boss, right? I mean, there's, there's, you, you can only go but so far with that, but, you know, to have a, have a debate there, like, that's a, that's a thing that happens, um, you know, whereas in some other cultures, it's like the authority line is very strong. And then you get these weird things happening when you have American companies going into other cultures. It's not because they're bad or they don't have critical thinking skills, right? But it's because there is this cultural weight of like, what did the leader say? Um, and it's good to be aware of that. It's not like, oh, okay, well, oh, you know, these people just do what the boss says and now I've got to deal with their simplistic way of doing things. It's like, no, it's like, you just need to, you just need to understand like, who do you talk to? How do you how do you interact with those people, and and why you would want spiral dynamics coming in there is you want someone who has some actual experience in like unearthing what's going on. So you know this, now we have to assume that the tests are doing the right thing and the consultants reading the tests are reading the right thing out of the tests, and there's all this stuff about like is spiral dynamics really scientifically valid are these particular tests scientifically valid and the, the whole relationship to mainstream academia which is and so but setting aside that let's just assume that they work right then like this is where you would start to get the understanding of like i have these things and i have to i would like to understand the other people better and figure out how to engage with them that does require a certain amount of flexibility and maturity on the person in the position of power to not just dismiss this as like, oh, okay, well, these are the people who think that there's a lot of authority in bosses. So I'm just going to start ordering and ordering and, you know, so it's, it's tricky. It's tricky because you could go in there with Nora Bateson's approach and you could probably learn things that would tell you very similar things about the people but would also leave room for, and this, this is where I think a lot of Nora's critique comes in, it would leave room for the fact that like, hey, you know what, this culture has a strong tradition of, of respecting authority and that shows up in the surface, but actually that's not what's going on here, right? You know, yeah, that's going on somewhat, but what's really going on is um, people don't have a good understanding of say the full context of the problem that they've been given. So really the only thing they have to go by is what their boss is saying, right? Cause like you didn't give them all the information they need. So yeah, they're doing whatever this other person says because 
that's what they've got. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, you know, time difference. They don't, they can't get you on chat. So, you know, yeah, they fall back on, they fall back on this available pattern. But actually, if we dug into what they need, they're, they're not, if you gave them an alternative, they would use it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and maybe that alternative doesn't show up in Spiral Dynamics very well. Right? And I think that's where the critique is, is very accurate, um, which is that you are going to, you're going to find certain patterns because those are the patterns that you're looking for. And those patterns are probably going to be real and in some sense valuable, but they also might not be the best solution. They also might miss something really important. Totally. And this gets to the, the whole, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail problem. And exactly. this is, this is where I, I'm really excited to talk about because um, I, I, so my personal lens on this whole issue of if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I, I feel like when people make that critique, often implicit in it is we need to throw away the hammer and, and more see things as right. they are. My thing yeah. is, yes, it's true that if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, but if you don't have the hammer, you might miss that there's a nail. Yeah. And so, right, so right. the answer is not to throw away the hammer. The answer is to properly diversify our toolkits. Yeah. So we're, so we're seeing all of these different dimensions and one, you know, a kind of analogy I'll, I'll make here is, you know, I live in Portland, Oregon now. So mm -hmm. I'm right in these, all these conversations and conflicts around race and DEI and woke stuff. And I, I do a lot of mediation with these conflicts. So I, I feel like I have a good grasp of it from either side. I also lead DEI workshops for different companies and stuff. Um, it's kind of fun. This you is really have played all the different where, where people's green paintballs. Now it's your time to take them out and shoot them at the screen. Right. Yeah. So, but I try, I try to have this, you know, a, a different approach than like a Robin D'Angelo kind of association, you know, one that yeah. hopefully uncovers the complexity and just as a side side rant, right. My philosophy or kind of litmus test regarding when do I invoke a label or not? Right. Cause, cause people get mad of like, all you do is see me as a white male. And I'm, I'm so much more as an individual right. than just these labels right. you're putting on me. So my kind of criteria in terms of invoking, let's say, social identity labels is like, do the labels and these abstractions, do they actually help to bring out the complexity of your being further, right? Do they enhance complexity yeah, yeah, yeah. or they, do they reduce it? And so in my opinion, right. like understanding, you know, your social positionality and kind of the complex ecosystem of societal and structural and systemic context that you're socialized into and how that it structures or plays a role in structuring your sense making or your worldview that that's a really important thing to consider um you know and whatever you want to label that postmodern green or whatever right but I, I still think that that's important to consider but it needs to be integrated with other variables like your personal identity and your personal values and how you see yourself on the inside so that's what i give people it's how do you see yourself on the inside let's explore the social context that shape it and how do those uniquely intertwine to kind of let your individual self emerge Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's kind of my Much angle. Yeah. But like for me, because it's like to really decenter, like let's say someone is paintballing too much and you have that yeah. paintball gun and you have your ammo. It's like I in my view, in my personal experience, the answer is not to throw away the gun. It's it's to do it's to get more diverse frameworks and tools to kind yeah. of cycle in and out of to see things from different perspectives. So you're making sure you're not getting boxed into one. That is kind of the heart of meta ideological politics, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so what I've, what I've been working on, and I was, I had been working on this, actually, I, I first came up with this idea almost exactly a year ago. Um, uh, so I was already working on this when the whole state theory thing erupted, and then it, 
that nudged some things further along and like the warm data experience was like, oh, okay, this is kind of what I was trying to do. And like, okay, now I can, I can frame this a bit better. But like trying to look at what's underlying those Gravesian patterns. And instead of going in and assessing and then telling people you are this, because what I want to get to is instead of getting assessment and being told like, this is why these people are doing this thing. And then you go follow that. What I would, what I like is looking at kind of what are some things that bring your attention to these patterns of, of, you know, how much, how rule oriented are you? How, how kind of emotional, personal relationship oriented are you? How, um, how, how competitive oriented are you? Um, and prompt people to talk about whatever they're interacting with and see what, see what comes up out of that. And this is a little more focused than warm data, right? Because we might talk about the actual problem in front of us, right? Um, uh, let, me use, let me use a different one, uh, a, 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 a better example here. Talking with a with a community that I'm in, I'm involved with, and they were they were having some issues of people basically just reading over anti-racism, diversity, equity, inclusion sort of thing. You know, it's not a corporate environment, so it's not like you're going to have DEI training and it be mandatory. Uh, like this is a community that 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 throws events and and parties and and stuff, and has been doing so for for nearly 20 years. Um, so, you know, and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, so this, this skews left, definitely. Um, but also it's a community that's been around for a long time, so it skews a little, like there's a, there's a range of ages, but it, it includes some substantially older than me and some substantially younger. So you get, you get people who are super into the anti-racism stuff and you get people who are like, whoa, like you say, you're, you're telling me that as a white man, I can't be anything else of this. Uh, and you get someone who, you know, literally escaped communism to come to America. And of course they find all of this extremely triggering. Uh, so it's like, well, what if we took people and I haven't, I haven't done this with this community. I've talked with some people about it and I hope to do this at some point. What if we took, took people and prompted them to reflect on this from these different, from, from the different, from like the different spiral dynamics levels basically. But we did it in a way that we're not talking about developmental theory we're not talking about that like this is you in any sort of sense. We're not even like, we're not even bringing up that possibility. We're not bringing up colors. We're not bringing up any jargon. Um, so there's nothing here where people can get lost in that and like be reliant on me to explain to them what does it mean that they said this thing, right? So instead you, you know, you, you, you prompt people for, you know, purple is about traditions and, and, and stories in your mythology and like kind of what are your deep cultural resonance, right? That's purple, that's in Wilbur's colors, that's magenta, I think. Um, so, so you can, but you can ask people like, hey, what are, you know, what are the, what are the cultural stories here that you think are at play? Um, and if we're talking about say, United States culture in general, it's like, you've got two competing strands of that. You've got the 1619 project is telling you one set of cultural stories about America and you've got like 1776 project or whatever Trump came up with separately. But I mean, forget Trump, like just, just the standard founding mythology of America that, that focuses on the good parts of, of everything and, and kind of is like, well, yeah, the three-fifths compromise was bad, but we're going to move on. 
you know, and like those are competing mythologies. So you get people to start talking about like, well, what are the mythologies that are important to them? And so now you're getting stuff that is spiral dynamics purple, but nobody's thinking about this in terms of their, it's not an assessment, right? It's not, I'm, I'm not trying to be like, how much affinity do you have for purple? Maybe they say a lot here, maybe they don't. And then maybe we go to like red, which is, is going to be like, all right, what, what emotional impulses are you feeling right now? Like, let's, we, let's, let's think about this scenario that we're trying to deal with. What comes up for you as an emotional impulse that you just want to act on right now, right? Because that's, that's red is all of this, this, you know, it gets talked about as like the warlord meme or something like that. Red gets, red gets a bad rap, really. Um, it's, it's more important than, <laughs> than, than, than the negative aspects of it. It's, it's, it's actually has tremendous positive aspects as well. So, so, you know, you prompt people to express from that. Um, and you see what they say. And, and you have different people from different sides of this and you have them listen to what each other says. And you don't, you don't turn that into a debate, right? You're not like, okay, now you respond to what they just said. It's like, no, 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 what's, it's not Thunderdome, folks. Like, like Thunderdome somewhere else. If you guys gotta wanna go do that, then you can do that on Facebook. It's like, you can be the crowd. Come on my other. podcast and do that, folks. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Open the invitation. So, you know, and, you, and you, you go around all of that, right? You get to blue and you, you kind of prompt people about how do you, you know, I kind of struggle with what the prompt should be on this one to be, to be perfectly honest, but, but you, you prompt people to think about like, how do, what do you think about, what are the ways, what are the things that people should be following? What are the kind of, kind of, kind of ordered boundaries? Like what's the order of this? Um, you know, what are the, what are the rules, whether they're, they're, they're written down or not that, that you expect people to be following and, and you know, how strict do you think those should be? Uh, and and you, can, you can go around and you can get people to speak from these different perspectives. And it's interesting what emerges. Um, and now you have had people basically do a context specific self-assessment. Is, 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 you know, if you wanted to translate it back into the traditional spiral dynamics terms, um, uh, you know, that, that's kind of what it maps to is like they have self-assessed, but there's no, there's, no, there's no artifact left over that you're going to, to misuse later, right? Maybe you recorded this whole experience or something, but still you're going to come back and people are going to be talking about this one thing and how it affects them and how they see it from this perspective. And you know that if you go and you ask them a different thing, you're going to get different answers. So there's less of a temptation to be like, okay, this experience of them answering these questions in this one context is their total summation of how they're going to look at everything else. I like that. Can we call it spiral warm data? No, okay. Like, <laughs> no, um, but seriously. Warm spiral data. Warm spiral data. There we go. Trademark. Um, there, is a, there is a method that... <laughs> That I've I've been trained in called reflective structure dialogue. So if you if you want help with this project, let me know because part of what reflective structure dialogue is is you give people um, time to silently reflect on a certain prompt. Yeah. And then each person will share, and then they have to, and then as each person as each subsequent person shares, they have to share completely independently um, yeah. from the last person. It's called the rule of the first speaker. So this everyone sounds very much what like I'm doing actually, like very very much. Yeah. Yes, yes, and specifically what you're giving them is you're giving them the lens or frame or theme with which to yeah. reflect on. So it's now put this lens on as a kind of sense-making uh, hat, right, or whatever. Yeah. And then um, see what kind of insights emerge and share from that perspective, and then you can rotate it. And I see yeah. a lot of value in doing this because it, it allows people to connect or, or see things in ways that they didn't before 
and make a connection like, hey, like I actually do have a, a, um, a relationship with tradition and yeah. you know, a kind of yeah. heritage or lineage. And there is a kind of meaningfulness or sacredness or energy I can derive from that. Um, even though ideologically, I might label myself as more of like, you know, against the dogmatic authoritarian forms of traditionalism, but I never knew that I actually had my own relationship. So it's almost like, like when I think about political ideology, like on the show, right, I'm always thinking about there's ideology as a kind of philosophical thought systems. And then yeah. th there's its correlating emotional, moral impulses that kind of underpin yeah. them or even give rise to them. And so getting in touch with those diverse motives and saying, oh, well, I actually do have like kind of a conservative streak, right? That yeah, was discovered yeah, yeah. through uh, Henry's purple prompt, right? right oh, I didn't right. know that. I kind of expanded how I think about and relate to these kind of ideas, right? Yeah. Or I, or I thought about it, you know, culturally, it's manifesting as in this way, right? Like muscular Christianity or whatever, you know, like yeah. <laughs> make America great again, uh, whatever. I did and not know that was a thing. <laughs> neither did I. It's, it's such a funny word. And so it's like maybe because of those mainstream cultural manifestations, I had a very negative perception of what tradition meant. But yeah, yeah. through this prompt, I now have a, a I, I found my own kind of unique relationship with that. And that kind of expands my lens and the perspectives and value I can derive from these different perspectives. Right. Yeah. And, and it's it's because one of the fundamental patterns in Gravesian theory, um, and this is in this is orthodox Gravesian theory, this is in all, all versions of it, is is the the alternation that, I mean, you can look at it as individual collective, you can look at it as expressive versus versus kind of conforming. You can, you could, it, 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 you could, it's this kind of fundamental mental polarity that shows up in any number of ways at all different sorts of scales. Um, but in Gravesian theory, you get that in the alter, alternating levels, right? So you get, I'm just gonna use the spiral dynamics colors because more people know those than the Gravesian letter pairs. Um, so you get like beige, red, orange, yellow, hypothetically coral, if anybody tells you what's going on with coral, they actually know what they're talking about. Um, so like those are the individual expressive ones. And then you get purple, blue, green, turquoise. And those are the more collective, adaptive, um, you know, I'm going to change myself to suit the environment versus I'm going to change the environment to suit myself. So like, that's a very important pattern. And a lot of, like a lot of political stuff gets reduced down to like individual versus collective. And that sort of maps onto like conservative versus progressive and and you know capitalist versus communist and it's it's this it's this very very coarse thing like there you're on this side or on that side and when you when you when you lay out the gravesian map and i do this i, I this is this is me doing my circular diagram that i have that that, that, that does this um you know you get you've got six things so you and and so you've got kind of Either you've got a collective end and a and a and an individual end, uh, and they actually map to head, heart, and gut, in my opinion. Um, so like beige is all about like physical survival. That's your individual gut perspective, right? It is it is your gut reaction to things. It is I am going to, you know, I need to eat. I need to sleep. I am going to do what I need to do to survive. Um, and then you go to purple and that's like your collective, that's the collective head. It's the, it's the cultural storytelling. It's the cultural myth. These are the, these are the things you think and say to each other that, that construct the culture. Um, so you go around that and you find out things like, well, a lot of conservative thought, like it tends to be individual, individual heart, like very individual expressive, that red. And like 
individual head, that very competitive orange, this is like capitalism and science and I'm gonna find the, the best thing here, but it's collective gut, right? It's the institutions and traditions and like, this is what society is and you should be following these yeah, these traditions and these and these institute the institution of, of religion and and I mean our faith in the institution of government has gone kind of to shit. So that's that one is is a little bit of an odd case. But it's interesting because it it, it you 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 realize that that it doesn't fall as sharply as everything individual versus everything collective. It's like oh no, it's people have it's different patterns of like what do you want the individual to emphasize and what do you want the collective to emphasize. And those things start to emerge when you actually go around all these different perspectives and prompt people. So yeah, you'll have people finding that, oh, okay, I actually care about the collective here. Um, and oh, maybe that's not actually Marxist. <laughs> Don't tell Jordan Peterson. Um, you know, and then, and, and conversely, you'll have people who are, who are very progressive and very, you know, social oriented, you know, who realize actually, you know, like this sort of individual expression here is actually very important to me. And I would feel very constrained if people were 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 constraining me. Like I would feel I would I would be upset about that. And you start to see that sort of thing, and you get a chance to value that. And you get a chance, even perhaps even more importantly, you get a chance to really feel how other people value it by watching them express and then and not as a thing that you have to respond to, right? Um, yeah, let me let because that that last bit's actually really important because particularly in like progressive circles, right? There's the, there's the silence is violence thing, right? Where like, if somebody says something racist or whatever, and you don't like stand up immediately, then you're agreeing with that and you're responsible for that and all of this stuff. And, and there's some good reasons for, for, you know, thinking about things that way. It's like, yeah, if, if nobody ever speaks up then nothing ever changes. So, so there's value there. Um, but it also means that you're gonna get into fights, right? Like it pretty much demands that you get into a fight over that right now. Um, and sometimes what we really need to do is we need to sit back and listen and not, we need to give ourselves permission to listen to that and to not be responsible for the other person's statement, right? So like if the other person says something, you're like, oh my God, that's horrible and racist. Like you need permission to just sit back and be like, all right, you know what, we're gonna let this go. And yeah, maybe after we do this whole process, we're going to have to have a conversation about that because that happened and there, there might be implications there. But let's let this person finish doing their, their speech. And then I'm going to talk from that perspective. And then we're going to move on to the next perspective. And they're going to talk from that. And I'm going to talk from that. By the time you get all the way around there, you might have actually filled in some things where you're like, okay, yeah, that was bad in isolation. But in context, now I have more to work with. Um, and you may find that like, okay, well now we can have a conversation about this and we don't have to turn this into a fight, but I can address this thing and they can address that thing. And I mean, hopefully I haven't done, but so much testing of this idea. So, I mean, I think you're on something, right? Because I, I think the, the part that really excites to me is how do you build more context around the object of the conflict? Um, so that it's properly contextualized and people can understand it from more angles, right? But it also has this value of, um, de-escalating or depolarizing the conflict when it, you're locked into a kind of binary frame around the conflict. Yeah. Right. So when you when you add complexity and and this is really evidenced in the literature on on political depolarization, right? When you add complexity into a situation where there are formerly 
only two options locked into binary opposition, uh, yeah. it kind of opens the playing field, but you kind of open the space. And that's where all of the kind of novel insights and creative solutions can emerge from. Yeah. And so my, my friend calls it like metaphoric, like building the mill, right? How do we build the mill through which things are run through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so I think when it comes, going back to kind of the paintballing problem or other other problems, like like in your view, and there's, a, again, this is, there's a lot of ways we could frame why someone would use something like spirodynamics or a stage model in a harmful way, right? Like why would someone weaponize it? Well, they could be psychologically traumatized. Yeah. Uh, per, per, per stage theory, we could say that's a manifestation of like a lower stage, right? <laughs> like we just paintball yeah. about paintballing, right? Um, we, we could say, you know, we, there's different ways you can frame it. And I'm sure there's an infinite amount of reasons why someone would do that causally. But yeah. I think the, the angle that I'm pushing forward on this podcast is specifically about properly contextualizing any discipline um, through learning and utilizing more disciplines. Like, so, yeah. so diversifying the toolkit and A, you decenter that. So it's not only like I have a hammer for everything. Yeah. I think that also like having an adequate diversity of frameworks and you know, analytic frameworks to rely on also like, what is the opposite of like reifying something? Like it de-reifies. You mean like dissolving it, like like yeah, you make it, it more like, fluid, more translucent, more diaphanous, more yeah, subtle, more, more diaphanous. Yeah, it's like something something that you can actually be within and and yeah, see through. It's like it's it's there. You can you can see it, but you can also see through it. It's not it's not just taking over over everything. Right. I think I think there's an interesting conversation though about because one thing I debate with people all the time is our ideas in themselves intrinsically are some ideas intrinsically more dangerous than other ones like are I certain yeah. ideas begging to be weaponized in ways that other ones are just not and I think that there's an important conversation to have about which ones could be dangerous right um, but I, I think that the problem in the culture wars is a everyone thinks that everyone else is every, all the opponents ideologies are the most dangerous and therefore we should cancel or we should try to get rid of all of the content right, right whether right, it's right, like right. we need to ban CRT full stop Right. right, right, right. But is it? But and of course, people who are like pro, like you know, racial justice are like, well, fuck you. Like that's that's totally ridiculous, right? So it's like I I don't I think that as a culture we get a lot of diminishing returns just debating which ideas are dangerous because even if we do determine without a shadow of a doubt that a certain ideology or idea set is more dangerous than other ones, what are you going to do about it? The cat's out of the bed. What you know, like right, the genie's right. out of the bottle. So what I'm trying to promote is how we engage with ideas instead of saying this idea sucks, use this one instead. Yeah. So as I said on the, the Dawn of Everything debate, right? To me, it's not a both and, it's a both and, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? And, and all the other ands help to um, de-reify or de-fixate from overusing that one hammer. And, and that if there is an idea that's dangerous, holding the counter idea, it's, it's like, yeah, we have, uh, you know, hot objects in the house, like a stove, you know, thing, a th you know, thing in the oven that could burn me, but that's why I have oven mitts. So the right, opposite right, right. perspective equips me with oven mitts to better handle that potentially dangerous thing. Right. Um, so that's my approach. But I think there's an interesting question are, you know, about like the 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 fact that stage series can have the effect of sucking all the oxygen out of the room. Yeah. Where it's like there's this really shiny, appealing, beautifully elegant hierarchical system. Uh, yeah. and and that can have the, I think this is what Nora was getting to, right? It's like that can have the power. A kind of seductive power that's so ideologically alluring it can dominate over competing ones right it, it but really but of does. course my problem with that though is people are saying that about like race like oh you know 
like everything becomes about race or like people are saying about economics or everything becomes about like business and supply and demand and cost benefit analysis and incentive structures. It's like everyone is saying that the opposing ideology has a kind of dangerous magnetism that will crowd out every other one. So, so yeah. my thing is like, okay, I'm not going to debate that. Let's just pluralize them. And if there's, if something is hot, I have oven mitts. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, well, well, like, so with something like race and economics, right? I mean, those those things are always there, right? You know, how, whatever people think about them, however people use those concepts, however people try to center those concepts or decenter those concepts, like they, they are always there. Stage theory in the form of the of what we call, you know, what we actually call stage theory. So a stage theory like spiral dynamics, that's not necessarily always there. Now, there are real patterns, right? I mean. There are various critiques you can do of Graves' methodology, but he did collect a lot of very freeform data and analyze it of people writing essays of what they thought the mature human behavior was like and, and handed them to independent judges year after year. And they always came back with the same, same set of, of patterns that they categorized things in. You know, he just said, categorize these essays. I'm not gonna tell you how to do it. And you know, the, the categorizations, have, they have to be unanimous. And I, I forget what, there were some conditions on there. But it, it was just impressively consistent for such a unstructured set of data. Um, you know, usually you you expect to you hand people things to categorize. I did this when I was taking a user experience class for like how do how do you design the information architecture or something. You hand people like the contents of a hardware store and you ask them to categorize it. You get totally different categorizations from people, right? There's some similarities, but like you usually get different categorizations. So the fact that different groups of judges kept coming back with the same categories there's something there. So when you get the stage theory idea in there in terms of it sucking up all the room because people see that and they're like, yeah, there really is something here. And that's why people start going nuts with spiral dynamics or whatever it is. And they're like, yeah, now I see that and I see that and I see that. And they start doing the paintballing because it's so like, you can grab a couple surface things and diagnose it. Just like people were saying, oh, Nora is green because she said that this was colonial, that stage theories were colonialist. That's like, okay, well, I mean, on the surface, that's not a completely, like, there's a reason why people said that. And it's not, it, it's not out of, like, it's not ridiculous. But if you go and then look at all of Nora's work, even it's like, okay, reducing her to green is just ridiculous. Like, that is ridiculous. Like, there's, it's just, it's just, what, what the hell are you even thinking? Like, it, you, to take spend five minutes going through you know stuff she's published on her website and you'll you'll see more complexity than that um uh than, than just like a naive green critique of of things so um so yeah it's it's the, the stage theories are real enough that people see it and then and they're seductive like you say because they're presented as this this progression so everybody wants to be yellow or turquoise or even coral right even though no one knows what that is but you just want to be as far up there as possible. Um, and if someone, if you don't like someone, you want to put them below you. Uh, and there's this intense pressure to sort yourself with respect to people and to put them there, which is why like the proposition is Jordan Peterson yellow is like, I, I'm just gonna run screaming for any time anybody says that. Um, uh, you know, it's not even possible to have a reasonable conversation about that, <laughs> but, um, uh, but, but, you know, it, it's a very charged thing because people have very strong opinions. I mean, I have strong opinions there. Um, and, and, and you don't want to put the person that you don't want to put the person that you think is awesome below people you think aren't awesome. 
and you don't want to put the person you think is horrible above yourself right so there's these tremendous motivations to misuse all of this stuff and that's that's why like really the cyclic focus i think it does a couple things one it one is it takes out such an obvious better than worse than thing even if you go around in a specific order it's it's less, it's less of an, of an issue. Like people might have qualitative affinity for one area of it or not, but it's, it's not quite as clear that like, oh, if I'm over here, I'm better. Now I've, I've lost track of where I, where, what, what started that particular rant, but. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think for me, like reflecting on my stage journey, right? Or, or journey with, with stages. privileging stage models, right? I think that the allure for me wasn't necessarily that I was at the highest point. It was more like the qualities and characteristics associated with like yellow or turquoise or teal or whatever. I thought those qualities were really cool. So I didn't care if I was that stage, but I wanted to aspirationally embody those qualities because that's, that's what to me was, um, it felt it felt it, they re, they really resonated and it felt right yep. and it felt like that's what will help us transcend all the polarization and cultural, you know, sh- yep. shit flinging. Um, and so for my work, especially in mediation and conflict resolution, I'm like, man, like the yellow, you know, skill set or whatever, that's where it's at. You know, like it's so cool. And so what I've been experimenting with is forming communities um, and valorizing norms that are associated with the qualities of certain stages. Yeah. but not bring in a stage model. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So what are all the characteristics of second tier yellow? Like, that's what we're going to do. And I'm never going to say that this is spark dynamics or stage or second tier. Let's just valorize the qualities and then have people try to cultivate them in whatever way they're inspired to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting because yellow is kind of written as the cool kids club. in yellow you're a spiral wizard and you understand the perspective of all the first tier things and you can meet all of them where they are and it's like yeah that sounds that sounds fucking awesome and and that's one critique i have of spiral dynamics and and gravesian theory like i think i think to some degree some things that are real patterns got got promoted a little too hard um and like the idea that the idea that only yellow really understands the the stages before it is, I think, not accurate. Yes, you are more likely to have a more thorough understanding of more things if you also have these other perspectives that we associate with yellow. But but I, people learn spiral dynamics who do not demonstrate that they are necessarily operating from yellow, uh, and they understand what the different stages are. And they can can reasonably interact with those stages to you know they they can they can value those stages and devalue those stages in different contexts. So it's like it's 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 not impossible to do that until you get to yellow. Like it's not this magic threshold that like suddenly you get to yellow and like now you can do all the magic stuff, and and you couldn't before. Um, I also, just add into that there's a lot of people who are not yellow, but they really in their hearts care about those qualities. Exactly, like aspirationally, exactly. right? So even if they may not be able to, like, I can't execute that all the time, but it's something that someone can feel inspired to try to embody, right? And 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 this is why I don't like the, I, I just throw out the tears, throw out, like, throw out even, Graves' own language around that was not quite as hierarchical, um, uh, but even even still, like, I see it as as, like, you've got these six things in a pattern and you can you can grow all of them and 
yeah, there is this sort of oscillating tendency to go around and like, like, yes, if you have too much, uh, you know, once you have too much orange and it's all, it's become super intellectual science and super, um, uh, super competitive and you're totally happily happy for capitalism to cause a whole bunch of people to be poor and starve and it's like okay well we're going to we're going to react against that we're going to go to a more collective heart orientation in green where we it's a lot more about empathy and and understanding the other and having plural views and it's like okay so like there are patterns here where like yeah if you overbalance this one's going to kind of tip you forward there but that doesn't mean you can't be growing all of these at the same time and if you if you read sand talk right tyson yonkaporta's sand talk and he talks about these indigenous australian communities and there's some place in there where he just gives what i think is an amazingly elegant description of like how to operate from yellow in terms of like networks of relationships and your individual responsibility to propagate information that you receive on throughout to your other relationships and I, I can't remember all of it off the top of my head, but like I just remember reading this and I'm like, that is the best description of how to operate from yellow that I have seen fit onto two pages, you know? And, and a lot of people would come in and be like, oh, primitive Australian Aboriginal, blah, 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 crap. Um, they haven't gone through orange. They haven't gone through, you know, whatever else. They can't possibly be yellow. And I'm like, maybe our theory is missing something if that's what we think, <laughs> right? It's like, because here they're showing, you know, I mean, that's kind of the whole whole thing of sand talk is like, look at these indigenous ways of thinking that engage with complexities in ways that are different than what Western thinking does. Um, so, you know, I look at that and I look at that on like kind of the beige yellow continuum and the purple turquoise continuum. And I don't care if that is turquoise or not. I'm just looking at like, okay, I see that these patterns are being applied in a more complex way than we see in Western thought. Whereas Western cultures kind of took this, this, this tour around this particular cycle of things. And now they're like really looking at things from this, from what, what spiral dynamics would call orange, you know, blue, orange, green, as opposed to, to beige, purple, red, whatever it is. So I think people can develop these things more independently. And I think that the tier system and the insistence that like, yeah, we kind of are going around this way that kind of blinds us to the ability to develop these perspectives more thoroughly. Beautiful, yeah. Because um, totally like agree. beige and yellow, right? So I said beige was individual, individual um, gut, individual body. Um, and when I do the, when I sort of walk people through the perspectives, like the full process actually goes around twice. And the first one is just like get in touch with your with what sensations are in your body. So like if we're talking about anti-racism and diversity, equity, inclusion, just think about that. Name the sensations in your body. Don't do anything else. You know, of course, I ripped this off from various somatic practices. Um, uh, but but that kind of starts people off by slowing everything down, right? And you're not about to run off like making your your rants that you would put into a Facebook comment. Um, but then you get to yellow and it's, it, you come back to individual body, but now you think about it more relationally. And it's like, okay, you're part of a network of people, of concepts, of groups, of everything. And, and like, what is your sort of intuitive body sense of the impact of you doing something or the impact of other people doing something that affects you? 
uh, and and you can actually get people to think more about this kind of relational network. It's still an individual body thing because it's kind of about like, how are you feeling about this? How do you want to react to this, right? Yellow is an individualistic thing. It, it means that you are, you're paying more attention to relationality, but you're acting individually to like help fix this system or whatever. So to me, that comes back to this like, bodily felt sense of the system and reacting from that sense of the of 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 what's going on around you um and you can't it's hard to drop someone directly into that but if you kind of go around this whole circle of things and you go through you know beige purple red blue orange green you come back to yellow then like oh you've built up the pieces you need to get there but it's but it's a continuum uh right like you can have you can have a good somatic relational sense to like your family and immediate friends, but maybe not be able to kind of get that in intuition at like a national political scale, <laughs> right? Um, or maybe you actually have a, a very much of a felt sense of, of kind of the impact of political currents. Um, and that's a more unusual thing, but maybe you've got that, maybe you can work on that. But, but like, there's a huge range of valuable perception and action in between the classic beige, I'm only thinking about my body and like what are the signals of my body to keep my body alive? And then like this full like global view yellow of like I am immersed in the metasystemic flow of the whole world. And if you disturb the flow of the system that I'm in, I have a sense that, that an intuitive sense that that is off and that I should take an take you know I should take action to rebalance that there's a huge range in between there and to think that people can only be at like individual body or global systems that doesn't make sense to me yeah that makes that makes that makes sense that it doesn't make sense to you makes sense, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I think something else you mentioned too right like the the problem with the um tier model the hierarchy model is that we can there's the tendency to think hey I already went through beige when I was three years old so I graduated from that or from a purple when I was seven years or whatever, whatever. Right. Yeah. And the, the notion is like, because this stage is lower and therefore the ideologies or philosophies or cosmologies or perspectives associated with the stage, with that lower stage, I'm just going to dismiss them. They don't have any value yeah. to me because I'm up here. This shit is way down here. And so anything that I associate with that probably is just like way below me. Why waste my time? And you end up just straw manning anything associated with a lower stage. Because yeah. and, and thinking that that the qualities associated with that stage can't be developed more, right? Right. Um, and or so that's aren't why. Worth developing. Or what? Like they aren't worth developing more. Yes. Like, yes. Whether they can or not, like who cares? They're not even worth worth paying attention to. Exactly. Exactly. And so one of the ideas that I've had right on on meta ideological politics is I, I emphasize the word ideology um, as sets of ideas that we should steel man and consider and integrate and utilize and metabolize. Um, and so it, it gets away from this, like, oh, because traditionalism is a lower level, right? Or like purple right. or blue or whatever, fuck traditional, like that's just some antiquated garbage. It's like, well, I think that there are ways we can, we can kind of revivify them and engage with some high level traditionalist thinkers to really metabolize some key insights that can probably help us a lot in this very complex chaotic world we live in. Yeah. Um, and this gets to the whole stage code distinction thing that I think Hanzi makes really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering how that fits into because one of the criticism of Spire Dynamics, even though in, in the Beck and Cohen book, which I've I've read a long time ago, they say over and over this is a how, not a what. 
Yeah, right? yeah the stages yeah. are how you make sense of the world. They're not content. Yeah, right, uh, but right. it still seems that there's a lot of confusion of, around that. I think Hanzi really tried to tap that by saying, the content of what someone believes, the code is not the same as the structural patterning of how they make sense of those contents, right? Um, yeah. So how do you think about that from the kind of Gravesian lens or SD lens? And like, you know, because my idea with the Titanium Man uh, is that, right, as, as a kind of like a, a even a more robust steel man, right? It's like yeah. you can take content of any ideology or any sets of ideas and upgrade them to a more complex form than how they're popularly articulated, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so you can only think about that though if there's a hard stage code distinction. So I'm just wondering what you think about that. Yeah, yeah. So let me let me try to go back over a couple things there, because like, so yeah, if you if you if you just associate traditionalism with blue, and if we have a hard tier model where like okay so there's blue and it's the fourth stage and in order to have second tier blue we would have to go around to whatever's past coral we don't even know what coral is questionable how many people really whenever someone starts talking about turquoise i'm always like all right I'm, okay let's see how this goes uh, <laughs> i'm not claiming to be an expert on turquoise i'm just noting that i'm skeptical of people who claim to be an expert on turquoise uh, but you know, if if you say that there's the the there's this absolute tier gap, then okay, blue, this blue pattern, it exists at blue, and it's going to exist down there at that fourth level, and we're not going to get to the whatever that is, tenth level anytime soon. So there's no point in even even trying. Whereas if you have if if you get rid of the tier thing, and you're like, okay, I've got six patterns, and they can be they can all be developed in a in a continuum. And maybe at some point you're continue, you, you reach a point where it's like qualitatively different and we can call that a tier, but, but that's less important than the fact that you can develop it. Well, now it's worth going back and being like, okay, well, let's look at the traditionalist aspects here. And like you say, let's, let's take them up to a higher level. And it's like, when we get way down to the deep underlying thing of like, yeah, maybe here, here are people who want a sense that there is structure to society and that they can rely on that structure. That's the collective gut. Um, right, so beige and blue are opposite ends of the gut line. They're the individual and collective gut. The collective gut basically means that there is, right, your gut is this, this structure and it, it operates independent of your, you consciously telling your stomach to digest food. And it's like, all right, so like if we, if we look at this as like, do we have a structure in our society that can kind of independently operate, right? Uh, these institutions that keep going while people come and go, right? I have, I have different priests, but the, the religion has this structure that I can rely on. There are different people in the legal system, but I can rely on this legal system to produce just outputs. Um, you know, and like, okay, so people value that. And it's like, all right, well, that's not working in this context, but what, what else might work? Like, how can we talk about the need for that and what that would look like without just dismissing that as traditionalism, right? Which might happen to be this one cultural code of, okay, over the course of this span of time, we develop this particular set of institutions that form our cultural gut. And, and now people are fighting over like, do we hold on to these or do we drop these? And that's become like, do we have, do we have any, any institutions at all? <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, it's it's you want a more you want the opportunity to value that without having to go wrap around to the second tier version of that, which doesn't really exist in the 
uh, in the way that, that we look at this in terms of spiral dynamics. And, and yeah, the Beck Cohen book, like I understand why they did it because they needed to be accessible to people, but they, they use, they define things in terms of examples way, way too much. So then people, I think that's why people think of it as content a lot because they just keep, they keep giving a lot of examples. And that's fine because people learn from examples a lot, but there's not, the dynamics aren't laid out in an intuitive enough way that people latch onto that. They latch onto the examples. And then it's like, green is hippies wearing natural fibers. Like it literally talks about natural fibers in the section on green in, in the Beck and Cohen book. And I did like, at that point I kind of like threw the book across the room and I was like, all right, this is a really cool theory, but like I, I, this chapter is awful and I'm just, no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good example of like a bad use of examples. I mean, g- getting overly specific with the content, associating them only with those particular, yeah. you know, concrete instantiations is, um, it doesn't get to the, the deeper underlying mechanisms of sense making and, you know. And then, and then you get to, you get people on, and now, now getting back to the cultural code, sorry, I kind of lost track of some of that. The, the, you, you get the people who are just like, oh, well, green means, means progressive left. And like everything on the left is green and everything green is on the left. And it's like, no, there's conservative green. There's, there's this, this is, this is a deep pattern. It shows up, you know, and you get, when we're talking about yellow or metamodernism and you get, you get people wanting to dismiss conservatives out of metamodernism entirely. And it's like, okay, well, certain types of conservatives as it has become in, in United States culture war, yeah, they're not displaying that kind of cultural code, but like any of these, any of these patterns of these, these levels or whatever you want to call them, these attractors, they're going to appear across political ideologies, political spectrums. You know, obviously there are the affinitive of like individual versus collective. So collective ones will, will, will attach more clearly to people who want version collective. But like I said, Conservatives in the U.S. are really pretty heavy on the on the, on the collective gut side, on the blue. Um, like that's where a lot of the traditionalism is. They're they're heavy on the individual intellect and the individual emotion, and they don't like the collective emotion, which is green. And and you know, like we're going to do all the social justice things because of empathy. Um, but but it's it's not uh, it's not that simple. So yeah, there there are these different cultural codes, but there are deeper underlying patterns. Um, I think Hansi sort of gets at it with the with the complexity and you know pulling out the MHC. Uh, I found that really valuable, but also like it's not entirely. I haven't figured out quite how how I see that fitting in because I definitely with my cyclic thing I was like oh okay well the complexity the the MHC is the like step up right so you have like beige at seven and purple at eight and red at nine and it keeps going around and it's like okay well that's how you step things up but then I got to this more like continuity oriented aspect and I'm like okay well and I, I can't have both continuity and a step function so what's going on here um uh so you've got that you've got that complexity piece there's something going on there you've got the cultural code piece and then you've got the state and depth pieces which I I, I think those I found those really interesting and I feel like those need developing. I think I think Hansi in the in the first book was like, these pieces need more developing. And I'm like, yes, yes. They um, uh, yeah, they're really fascinating. But I, I think I think Hansi's four-part thing brings a lot. I don't think it quite comes together in terms of what I'm seeing, um, but I I don't have a coherent critique there. 
Um, I'm, I'm still kind of trying to figure that out. I found it very exciting that he actually took that or they or whatever, um, took Gray'sian theory and, and utilized it in a different way and tried to put it together with some different things and, and do something other than either, yes, this is great spiral dynamics or no, it's horrible. Right, as it, so it was great to see someone be like, okay, there's something worth pulling out here. What can we do with it? Because that was kind of what I was trying to do at the same time was, I see valuable things here. What can we do with that? Yeah, it kind of gets me to my final question that I think a lot about in terms of what lenses we should use to understand like politics and social systems, right? Because as you're saying, it's very easy to, you know, like making that association of like, oh yeah, progressive left equal green. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's like a lot of people who have a lot of literacy in political science or have like a political science background are just like you guys are just fucking idiots. Like, you know, like there there's no like complexity or or like um, substantive understanding of political institutions and economics and game theory and complexity theory. Like like there's so many other lenses, right? Anthropology yeah. and you know sociology and political sociology, and then within those categories there are millions of subcategories. And some of those subcategories disagree with each other, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's like, I think the complaint from a lot of people is that spiral dynamics or developmental stage models should not be the primary dominant lens for which we yeah. un analyze and understand sociopolitical realities, right? And so part of this show is like, okay, so what should be like the, the lenses we use? And what place does stage theory have in that larger ecosystem of analytic frameworks? Yeah. I mean, really, it, it gets back to both when I'm talking about my process of kind of prompting people with different lenses, and you were talking about the doing of what sounds like a very similar thing where you get people to talk and they don't directly respond to each other, which is also part of what I'm, I'm doing. Uh, and, and you talk about also using some of the ideas for stage theory without actually saying it's stage theory, <laughs> right? And, and I think that's important. And I've had conversations with some other, other people, um, uh, you know, not not recorded conversations, just in general, of, of how they're interesting ideas here, but like actually putting them out there as stage theory, actually presenting them as that is, is often not the, the productive way of doing that. Like that totally is agree. a frame that is very easily abused. And what's more useful is to look at the patterns and use them as as prompts in various ways yeah like they're, they're prompts they're lenses and you use them within a context uh and and i like i don't really care about the stage progression at this point like i don't care where you are on the whether i lay it out as a circle or a line or a spiral or whatever like i don't really care where you are overall like mostly I care about how things are showing up for you in a particular context with respect to this particular pattern. Maybe in one context, this pattern is going to resonate for you really deeply and it's gonna drive a lot of your behavior and in another context, it won't. If I try to, if I try to pull this together and assess your level or even your affinity, right? Cause like spiral dynamics doesn't really put people at a level. It's right, you have multiple affinities for all the different levels. But it's really hard to talk about that. Even people who are really, really good about it and who really value things. Like if you talk, if you really talk to John Freeman, like he super values like 
beige, purple, and red. And he's like, if you're going to try to get to second tier yellow, you need to have these things be healthy. You need to address these. You need to value them and pay attention to them. We were talking about how people don't value those. But like, it's hard to convey that. It's hard to convey that. The whole frame encourages you to not do that. Um, and even though the, even though like, if you really dig into Grazian theory, it's, it's very, very complex. It's very multi-valued, all of these things. It's super hard to talk about. So look at the patterns, look at the things that they, they draw out. They can facilitate drawing out. They can facilitate understanding. Use those, use those perspectives to, like you say, pull it out, pull it out of the binary perspective of things, right? If you give people six or 12 perspectives, that's a much different conversation, much different conversation than just having two. So yeah, I, I just, I'm looking to take the interesting patterns and, and just throw away the idea of them being stages. That's, I don't care. They're qualitative perspectives and they're useful perspectives to, to work from. And it's useful to hear other people speak from those perspectives so that you start to understand how you relate to each other there. Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't this, this, the stage aspect doesn't matter. Yeah, okay, maybe they only understand the, the first four and you can tell that they're very weak in the next couple, but like, oh, okay, so what? Like really all that matters is that like in this context, if you try to engage with them on this particular perspective, it's probably not gonna go anywhere. Okay, next, next context, it might be very different. Right, and I think you bring up a good point about the practical aspect of uh, communication and community dysfunctions that can result from certain framings, where even if it's posited explicitly that all of yeah. these levels are in us all the time and we're a diverse, you know, complex constellation of all of these mimetic forces simultaneously, it, it's so hard to talk about that way. Perhaps one issue, as you said, right, the hierarchy, it's almost a shame that guys, I had a red moment yesterday, you know, like I, you know, like right. whatever, right? It's like, it's like I went down, it's like no one wants to be you know, like thinking that we've regressed, even if temporarily. Right. But I think there's also another dimension, which is the level, I think this is the code thing. It's like, what level of granularity should we be talking about things? So yeah. I think the issue that I've had with uh, like stage dominant communities is that the, it was never, when we talked about like politics and very complex social issues, it never got granular enough for me. Right. It, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't precise enough. And it would, it would always resort to like, well, green's doing this and orange is doing this. And I'm like, that's not specific. Like, can we talk more specifically of like, is anyone like, especially with like, let's, I like to pick on CRT just cause it's such a, you know, polarizing thing, but it's like, it's nothing right now. but it's like, instead of just labeling CRT, like green and red, right. Or whatever people are going to label yeah. it and then say, well, this is an example of green and red taking on the blue. So it's like, well, has anyone actually read like of like Kimberly Crenshaw, like, like has anyone actually read like, no, you know, Richard no. Delgado or what, you know, whoever yeah, else, yeah. Uh, Derek Bell and really get into the actual ideas, like the yeah. idea of interest convergence uh, as, a, as a kind of mechanism of social change. And that yeah. is a critique of the civil rights movement. Like no one's talking at that level of granularity. And I, yeah. I get dissatisfied because it, you end up strawmanning stuff, right? Yeah. If you just, if you yeah. stay at this kind of high abstraction, overly generalized label, you can't get granular. There's such a huge amount of information and ideas and ideological space. Like no, no one can fully engage with all the complexity of these things just in absolute terms, right? 
like 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 I haven't gone and read those CRT things. Like I know that a lot of things that get labeled CRT are not actually critical race theory. It's become questionable as to whether that even matters at this point. I like CRT and critical race theory aren't even really the same thing practically, <laughs> even though that's supposedly what one stands for. But um, yeah, so like that like that space is so huge that we can't really engage with it in absolute terms. Like we you either radically simplify straw man it, um, you know. You know, which is which is of course my critique of Jordan Peterson's critique of postmodernism is he like he takes actual things about postmodernism, decides that they're like 100% absolute universal assertions, and then like disproves them by counterexample. And it's like, well, if that straw man was real, you would have disproved it. But that's not actually what's what's going on. But like, who the hell has time to 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 read every aspect of this and like understand how that is a straw man and how that is, how the argument against it doesn't actually make a whole lot of sense. Um, you know, the things that are said are close enough. If you casually look something up, then yeah, you'll see something like all oh, relationships are power. And then you can, there's scary things that you can, conclusions you can draw from that. And that's, so that's where people go. And it's like, okay, actually that's a way more complicated statement than it sounds on the surface. Uh, but if you, if you have a set of lenses and you can use those to bring attention on a particular context, okay, well now I don't have to understand everything about postmodernism. I don't have to understand everything about critical race theory. Let's deal with what I'm feeling, thinking, sensing in this moment about whatever is actually relevant to me and look at it from a couple of different perspectives. And okay, you still haven't gone and read Kimberly Crenshaw, but you'll at least maybe look at it from multiple perspectives and you'll start to see some things emerge that you can work from. And yeah, you'll get you'll get into a, a more fine-grained thing just because you've been asked to look at it six or 12 different ways. Yeah, yeah. And and you have a good point there, just to kind of self-critique what I just said. Because uh, I, I do get, you know, I kind of have a blind spot in terms of um, I have I have the time and the passion and interest and kind of aptitude to get into the grant you know ideal political ideological granularities as a kind of tool for depolarization right mm -hmm. and 99.9 percent .9 of people either aren't interested in that or don't have the time for that um, yeah. and so we do resort to you know generalizations or or very you know abstract heuristics to generally try to capture the different factions or ideological camps that are fighting with each other uh, right we, we where there's some form of of sense making going on. Um, I guess for me, my stipulation or, or my, my preference would be that people have a kind of epistemic humility and meta-awareness of a Dunning-Kruger effect, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah. How, I know how much I don't know about this, so I'm not going to pull a Jordan Peterson and, and lump all postmodern thinkers and all of the complex differences between Deleuze and Baudrillard and Lyotard and, <laughs> right, and Louis thing. Althusser and all those guys into, like, into this one lecture, right? Like, like, I know how much I don't know. So if you offer a critique, you can say, so from what I've seen so far, which is 1% right. of the entire ecosystem, uh, I'm concerned about this, but I'm aware that there's a lot I don't know, and I could be strawmanning that, right? Yeah. But I, my, my concern is like, you know, with anything else, like, oh, but if I can just categorize it as green, it can kind of give the sense of like, I, I totally get all of this. I don't need to read the right. ideologies, right? Because yeah. I, I understand the deeper underlying pattern that drives it. I don't need to understand the specific code in it. And I, I think that that's a mistake. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good way of putting it because that is, that is really the thing. It's like, it's that feeling that you have the master code and Don Beck in his later years has talked about the master code a lot. And then yes. like, oh, that's, that's, 
That's a dangerous. That doesn't have a good connotation for me personally. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 it's kind of cringe. Um, uh, but if instead, if instead of being like, oh, I understand green and I see green there, so like now I this is all green uh, and and I, I get it because I get the I get I understand the green code, so I don't need to understand the thing. On the other hand, if I hand you a green lens and I'm like, hey, what do you see through that? That's very different. Um, and then I hand you an orange lens and I say, what do you see through that? Uh, and I you know, hand you each of these and say, what do you see through there? And, and now, now it's not, um, I understand the green lens that you were holding for a few seconds there and therefore I understand everything about you. Uh, it's just that like, okay, for, for a moment you look through that and we now, we, now we've got some data that is related to that, but, but obviously it's not everything. And I think there's that experiential aspect of it where like if you, in the moment of engaging with these tools, with other people, the experience makes it clear that you do not understand everything, but you are understanding something, right? And like that's, I, I think there's a little bit of, a, of an influence of, of like the, the kind of immersive art experience scene, which is actually how I met the friend who introduced me to, to, to Spiral Dynamics of like, experiences are so powerful compared to, I'm going to go read this diagnostic test. I'm going to go, um, you know, I'm gonna read this book and then I'm going to apply the book. But if you are actually having a relational experience with another human being, that is so powerful and we don't have to put a lot of, we have to put a lot of guidance around that. You know, if I give you the spiral dynamics book, I have to be like, okay, understand that these are not mutually exclusive. People are chords and not notes. You need to understand that there's movement and all of this stuff. Whereas like, if we have an experience of using some lenses, we have a, like, we know what we just did. Yeah, totally. And, and the awareness that it is in fact a lens that you're dying. Right. And right. it's one experience, and then we might have another experience later that will be different. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. This was this was a lot of fun. Thank you, Henry. Um, Thank you. I, I, it feels like we're really on the same page. Like I think we're really um, grappling with these questions, coming to very similar conclusions. Yeah. I think yeah. I think just to put a bone from my perspective, right? Like I think my official my official statement, you know, regarding regarding sage all of this, I think I think I will stick to my guns. I don't have anything against the theories themselves, it's more just yeah. how people use them. And if they're held adequately with kind of my four heuristics of like depth, distance, diversity, and discernment, right? So it's like depth yeah. of like, do you understand them deeply? And are you able to steel man it clearly uh, or yeah. have, a, have a substantive understanding of this theory or ideology, right? Distance, like, are you adequately detached from it? Like make sure, like, you know, we had talked about don't conflate the map with the territory. Yeah. And the other part, the internal part for me is don't conflate the map with your identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so, so not only reifying the map as a territory, but make sure that you don't make that too much a part of your personal identity. Uh, so you can reflect on it objectively and critique and let go of it when necessary. Right. Um, yeah. And then diversity, right? The diversity of frameworks, you know, diversifying our, our toolkits um, so we can make sense of reality in complex ways from multiple perspectives. And then the fourth one of discernment is making sure that you have, you're using the right toolkit in the right situation. Yeah. Um, and so you yeah. don't try to, every situation, every problem, every conflict, every socio-political issue, uh, spiral dynamics is the answer. It's like, or whatever, right? It's like, no, maybe a different framework, game theory or systems theory or 
uh, libertarian economics or traditional conservatism or you know progressivism or whatever DEI or whatever that might yeah. be a better approach in that right. moment. Right. Um, and so so just make sure not to have you know to 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 make that one framework a kind of Procrustean bed that destroys complexity and everything is stuffed into. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, as I, I you know, as I got more and more into Gracian theory, I would find myself defending it, but then also realizing like, okay, well, this area is actually weak and you've got to, you've got to kind of let those parts go. Like you find the weak, the, the weak aspect, you've got to kind of acknowledge that and let that go. And you can do that without dropping everything if you, if you haven't let yourself get too caught up in the identity of like, I am a Gravesian theorist. And therefore, if you're attacking Gravesian theory, you're attacking me. It's like, no, I don't know. I think, I think Gravesian theory is fascinating and has value but um but but that but it's but it's it's open to to discussion um and yeah understanding is con understanding where to use it and like how much to use it and all of that yeah yeah totally and i'll just say before we end to that yeah per what i said earlier like i've never read graves um i at one point i got the book uh never ending quest from the library Mm -hmm. And I, I just never read it and returned it. I, <laughs> I was planning on reading. I, I'm, I'm sad to say, but uh, maybe one day. The, the first and third sections, uh, the first section being where he describes how he came up with the theory and like the, the process and the, the, the data and mm -hmm. like all the times when he was just like, well, crap, this isn't doing what I thought it was going to do at all. Damn, mm -hmm. I totally misunderstood this. And then the third one where he kind of like pulls things together and like compares it to other theories at the time. Those sections are really, really fascinating um the second section where it goes over the uh the different levels uh Khan and Todorovic uh edited those together from a bunch of different sources like Graves hadn't finished writing that section so they're interesting but also there's a lot of repetition they could have they could have edited that down a whole lot um so it's it's worth reading but but also uh some of the some of the stuff in the middle describing the the stages is gets a little repetitive but i don't know the levels of human existence is much cheaper and and also it doesn't cover the second tier stuff as much because it was earlier um but it does at least cover him talking about like yeah i asked students to write these things then i expected this to happen and that didn't happen and what the hell was i going to do now and yeah yeah i do well, wish cool. never ending quest was more accessible to people because mm. it is it is interesting to to see him talking about his process and then you can kind of make your own conclusions about like what were the strengths and weaknesses of that process. Totally, totally. Yeah, and I, I think just, yeah, that's kind of my kind of straw man asterisk, right? It's like, because I never read it, like I'm I'm open to, you know, being challenged and, and growing in my understanding of stage theory and getting an even clearer, you know, deeper understanding of what Graves was saying or really what anyone is saying about these things. I mean, I'm interpreting it from my own perspective and could yeah, be distorting yeah. it, right? So. It's to me, it's it's a never-ending quest, right? So it's an open process. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, and and um, but yeah, that's but yeah. Thank you, Henry. This is this has uh, been really fun to just riff and kind of just shoot the breeze yeah. kind of casually and, and get into this stuff. So uh, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been a, this has been great. Really enjoyed it.